0: Stars. Nothing, is more
1: nothing yeah are you feeling it now mr
2: krabs are you feeling it of
1: course you feel it now what do you want to know what i want to know is what's going on i think it's time to blow this thing I get everybody in the stuff together okay three two one let's jam good
2: evening ladies and gentlemen we've got a great job for you tonight Let's get back
3: to it. All right, welcome to the Big Electron here on KCU eighty eight point one FM. Thanks for listening. Uh, we have a great show for you today, and we actually have another um, guest slash host slash something <laughs> uh, with us today. So it's four of us. Uh, yay! Yay! So <laughs> welcome. Hi.
1: Hi there. Hi Jackie. Hi Anita. <laughs> Hi Madeline. Hi mom. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, so yeah, if you could introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about, uh, well, first your name.
1: My uh, name is Adam.
3: Your name is Adam. Hi, Adam. And uh, what do you do here at Museum?
1: Well, I am a scientist, or at least I'm a scientist in training. I'm a PhD student in the Biological Sciences Program, and I study chromosomes, or specifically what happens when you have the wrong number of them, which mm-hmm. is something that's commonly found in in uh, several human medical conditions, the most famous one being Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not studying this in, in human beings. We're studying it in corn uh, because <laughs> corn really doesn't mind how many chromosomes you give it. And we can use that to study exactly what happens at a really small scale level um, to uh, to see where things go wrong when you vary the number of chromosomes in a bad way. Awesome. So that's... Who's the professor
3: that you're working with?
1: I work under uh, the supervision of Dr. James Birchler.
3: In the Department of?
1: Biological Sciences. There you
3: go. All right. Awesome. Well, great to have you here. Thanks for being here with us today.
1: Thanks for letting me barge in.
3: All right. So before we get started, just to remind you that if you have any comments, questions, or um, things that you want to hear about on the show, you can call us here on Studio Call or Text here on studio at 573-882-8262. You can also find us on our Facebook page where we are at The Big Electron. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Madeline, you have something very, very cool to share with us.
2: Yeah, so I found this awesome um, article recently and um, to kind of introduce this, I want you to imagine going to the doctor and the doctor comes up and says, I have some bad news. You've been diagnosed with cancer. And then he says, the good news is, I have this new treatment. It's it's a protein from malaria, tagged with a protein from diphtheria, and it's gonna cure you of all your cancer. And uh, so you think this guy's a quack and you're gonna go find a real doctor. (laughs)
0: Like, is it uh, it cured because you're not alive
2: anymore? (laughs) That that would do it too. Um, So apparently uh, there's been this this field in cancer that's been happening for a long time where people are investigating the commonalities between cancer and the placenta. Um, So to understand this, we need to um, remember that basically what cancer is, is um, a bunch of cells that divides really, really rapidly and invades itself into tissues. So kind of like an embryo would. And so because of these um, similarities, people have been looking into into what is in common between the placenta and uh, cancer. They've been looking into this for a long time. And so um, this group recently um, published in Cancer Cell, And what they had found is that they scientists had already known that, um, malaria, the, um, tropical disease that, um, infects red blood cells. What happens in, in that disease is that, um, in order. So normally if you get infected with malaria, your body tries to take care of that by, um, by pulling all your red blood cells through the spleen and cleaning out the ones that are infected. Well, the, the, um, The malaria doesn't want that. So it it has a protein that kind of anchors it in the placenta. Um, It seems like kind of an odd place to anchor yourself, in my opinion. Uh, (laughs) But uh, so anyway, this group of researchers has figured out what protein that is that anchors it. And um, they were able to show that, um, yes, it binds in the placenta, but it also binds highly specifically in these tumor cells. And so they looked at these in um, a whole bunch of different types of cancer and um, it was able to identify the cancer cells, but not the healthy cells. Um, and and then they go ahead and try their little therapy where they, they fuse a diphtheria toxin on there and the diphtheria toxin, all it does is kill everything it can kill. Um, and so obviously you want that to be highly specific. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very Probably. much so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so, yeah, when they do this, they they put it in some mice and they had some, um, these mice had tumors. They tested several different types of cancer. There was was one that it wasn't really effective for, but um, all these different types of cancers, whether they are originally originating from um, this tissue or that tissue, this cell type or that cell type, um, it was able to find them and kill them. And uh, yeah, it was pretty cool.
1: So malaria is making a useful contribution to the fight against cancer. For once. Yep.
2: <laughs> now, are they using
3: um for, uh, Where is this group from? Or um I, I imagine it might be a collaboration many groups, but Yeah. Um it didn't
2: print off on my mm. on my um printer. Right. Oh, no. Oh, here it is. Um some of them are from Canada, Vancouver, um British Columbia, Denmark, yeah, Ooh, the UK, the, the US. Yeah, they are all over yeah. the place. Which is expected in, in something
3: as big as this project. Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot of collaboration happening. Uh, you got to bring in people from different fields that understand different things and combine them all into this. Now, when you say malaria, now are they using exactly the virus or are they using like a, part of the virus like the key part that they identified to be cure not curing
2: but um, treating these cancer cells yeah so they're not using the whole thing because yeah that would be mm. really scary right yeah. um yeah definitely. that would be malaria <laughs> 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 um no they've just uh they've identified this one uh, protein and they actually use a recombinant version of that so they've they've altered it slightly um but it still binds in exactly the way that it would in nature, mm-hmm. and so, well, um, so okay.
0: what does the alteration, the slight alteration, do exactly? Oh, they don't
2: really say. Um, I don't. I don't think it would do anything particular. Um, in the case, you wouldn't necessarily worry about this. Um, so, when you say re- recombinant protein, uh-huh. uh, what you mean,
3: what we mean by this is, we. Uh, thanks to gene sequencing, we sort of know what, uh, how the protein looks. Yep. And so they've identified this sort of active part that it's our necessary part of the protein that is um, needed for, for the treatment of the cells and all that stuff. Um, and that was very simple to do. So they identify that part and then they put it into another kind of cell or they design something else so that only that active part is um, is expressed and, and that's why we say it's recombinant. It's not the entire malaria gene sequence, but only this active part that has effects on uh, specifically what they're studying.
2: Yeah. Uh, so in order to ha- be actually malaria, you would have to have a bunch of other things mm-hmm. playing mm-hmm. in here. Right. So yeah, you yeah. wouldn't be worried about the safety issues.
1: If I'm uh, if Wikipedia is correct, uh, malaria is a microorganism, right? Yes. So yeah, you would need a lot more parts to oh, have
2: yeah. mm-hmm. malaria
1: going, but it's mm-hmm. like, it's a pretty remarkable story. It's like if somebody found out that say the flywheel of my Ford Taurus, you know, helped launch <laughs> rockets into space or something like that, it's <laughs> yeah. totally weird that they were able to pick this one protein out of oh, this Oh yeah. It's mm-hmm. a really creature. impressive,
2: a really impressive paper. And, um, I, I just wanted to point out that the specificity is really awesome. Um, I think a lot of people are pretty familiar with chemotherapy and radiation and things like that in, in um, treating cancer, um, but those are highly not specific. Right. Uh, the idea behind those is just that you're going to kill everything that's rapidly dividing, which, yes, will kill the cancer, but that's why chemotherapy patients also lose their hair. Um, they, they have There's skin the issues. skin issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, which are the cells that are rapidly dividing in exactly. your body, um, mm-hmm. even
3: when you are a healthy human? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, so it's great to have something that will target these cells without you know hurting the rest of
3: right. And which is something that has taken a lot of attention in developing better cancer treatments. Um, there is a lot, a lot of research going on in in cancer treatments, um, and a lot of it focuses on the selectivity of it,
2: mm-hmm. um, just
3: because one you would you would need a less Less amount of a dose, oh yeah, because it targets specifically that cancer mm-hmm. cell, um, and then also the patient would not, hopefully, that's that's the plan. Uh, it wouldn't suffer as much as with the current available treatments. Yeah, uh,
2: but um, and this this paper also kind of reminded me of a clinical trial from several years ago, um, where they were it was kind of this, a similar thing. Um, these patients have cancer in the blood, and the mm-hmm. in like the the T cells in the blood. Um, and what are T cells? T cells are the um, the cells that are your immune system. Basically, they're part of your immune system, um, and so they they carry out all these different functions of your immune system. And um, so these patients have have cancer in their blood, and uh, so what happens to infect T cells, but HIV. So, convenient. <laughs> yeah. So it, um, is able to, it not only infects those cells, but it reprograms them. Like that's what HIV does in, um, an HIV positive patient is it's hijacking the cell and using it to do its own bidding. And, um, so in this case, they, uh, they reprogrammed that HIV to kill itself basically. Mm-hmm. And so once it gets in those um, cancerous T cells, it annihilates them. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's annihilates just Annihilates really... them. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> That's is, the word we want to use.
1: This is really great finding some, you know, terrible illness and using it to attack another terrible illness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Pretty Absolutely. cool idea. Have them face Cheat. off against each other. Maybe they'll be distracted <laughs> and we can get yeah. away.
2: The two
3: yeah.
0: negatives yeah. make a positive.
3: <laughs> and I think the best part about this a specific project is that it worked in many different cancers. Oh, yeah. Um, because we see a lot of, oh, yeah, we developed this drug or we developed this compound or series of things or we found this particular protein, but they only work for a very, very specific type of cancer Yeah, and only on their like even certain conditions. Yeah. So this
2: is, it, it can be like widely used, which is also nice for, you know, the pharmaceutical companies are the ones who would be developing these things. Mm-hmm. And so, um, if they can develop one that treats all these different things, then they have to spend a lot less money to develop it. And in theory, mm-hmm. um, they would have to charge a lot less to be, right. um, to be administering these so mm-hmm. yeah it's it's a good thing all around it's, and, and it's selective so mm-hmm. selective
3: apply to many different cancers mm-hmm. and that's awesome yeah we know about it so hopefully hopefully this uh this was recently published right yeah so from going from a scientific paper to the clinic it's about very it's, long it's years. time, it's years, <laughs> years for it. Uh, but I don't know, hopefully uh, I heard the U.S. was involved in there and I know the NIH and the FDA have this fast track program
2: mm-hmm. where
3: okay. they, if they see something, um, generally it takes about 10 years, but if they see something that could help bring, um, you know, some, some health issues down then um that would fast track it and Mm -hmm. we'll see it in the clinic sooner than than those 10 years so yeah i don't know hopefully hopefully this is this is something that gets fast tracked
2: yeah Um, if nothing else it was a really cool paper and i'm sure mm -hmm. this kind of research can you know spur off a whole lot of other um Mm -hmm. really interesting ideas right right
3: Absolutely. All right. Awesome. So we'll go on a first musical break, and then we'll be back with some dinosaurs.
0: Rawr.
3: <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Big Electron here on KCU eighty-eight point one FM. All right, welcome back to the Big Electron here on KCU eighty-eight point one FM. Thanks for listening. Yes, that was what it's a quadruped by the National Science Foundation, <laughs> which funds a lot of the research that we do um, here, in Mizzou, and in a lot of public universities as well national science foundation the national institutes of health um and then other fields um nasa and department of defense and so on and so forth they mm-hmm.
0: fun stuff so Honahita. yes do you want to hear about dinosaurs not really but <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> what do you have for us
3: <clears throat> well what's new in the world of the dead.
0: Well, nothing's new in the world of dinosaurs, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, extinguished. <laughs> um, so there is a set of dinosaurs called seropods, and these are they have long necks and long tails and they tend to be herbivores. <clears throat> and so this week at a meeting for vertebrae paleontologists.
2: Ooh.
0: I know, very fancy. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, some interesting talk was being done about seropods, uh, specifically the Apotosaurus, um, which is a cousin of the Brontosaurus. For those of you who um, are fans of Jurassic Park, uh-huh. the Brontosaurus in the er- uh, original movie sneezed on the little girl. Uh-huh. Um, that's how I remember that. Anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, so the Apotis- so they have these really long... The the brontosaurus has these really long, thick tails, um, the herbivores, and they just kind of use their tails mostly for balance, um, as well as maybe to like knock their predators over. You can just kind of whip them away. Mm -hmm. They're big, slow creatures, so it wasn't the best defense.
2: It could be good against like small things. I mean, if you think about uh, a cow whipping its tail at a fly. Yeah. I guess yeah. maybe like birds or something.
0: That's exactly uh, what the theory of like one way they use their tail was. Um, but this cousin, the Apotosaurus, had a really big tail at the butt end. It was about three feet thick. But as you go down the tail, oh, wow. it, uh, yeah, <laughs> big tail, It it petered out. And at the end, it was no bigger than a pinky. That's crazy. Um, so it wouldn't have been able... That's way too fragile for, like, mm-hmm. clubbing any anybody who came by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like, 20 years ago or something like that, the theory that this tail was being used to create a sound, so he, they would whip their tail, and the resulting sound would scare away predators. Hmm. That came about about 20 years ago, but there was no way to prove it um, until now. Mm. So that's where the new comes in. Mm -hmm. Um, Some scientists from Canada, from Alberta, Canada, uh, used computer modeling and physical modeling to see if this is possible. And what they found was that the whip sound can be made and um, actually is probably really effective because it would move more than 800 miles per hour, (laughs) which would break the sound (laughs) barrier. (laughs) yeah isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. so this this whip sound would break human eardrums. Definitely if I was a predator and I was around that thing, I'd get out uh-huh. of there.
3: I don't think you would be a predator to begin with. <laughs>
0: I'm ferocious <laughs> <laughs> so this
1: well, is,
3: those things were huge yeah. so yeah
1: so this is like a combination of Jurassic Park and the Indiana Jones movies where he's got the,
0: <laughs> exactly
3: the bull
1: whip. Um, Someone think- needs to tell Steven Spielberg about this immediately.
0: <laughs> I see like a combo movie in the making.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it was just really cool. So, like, and it also kind of shows how long, you know, science can take. That theory has been around for, I think it's been around for longer than 20 years, but 20 years ago is when it started to gain traction mm. as the possible reason wow. why. So,
2: hopefully, I mean, the guy that originally you know, stated this hypothesis is still alive because he's got to be so excited. Yeah. (laughs) Waiting 20 years to get validated. So they had like a
0: theory and it took them 20 years to like come up with the technology to be able to validate
1: the theory. Mm -hmm. So the technology, is that an artificial tail that they built?
0: So uh, they did two kinds of modeling. One was a computer model. And the physical model was they created a one-fourth scale size of the tail. (laughs)
2: <laughs> one fourth is still really huge.
1: Yeah, that's yes. gigantic. Still. So,
0: as opposed to, so it was 20 kilograms. Okay. Um, which would, wait, that's not one fourth. Hold on. <laughs> this is well, conflicting. Maybe it wasn't information. in weight. Oh, sorry. The scale was one fourth, but then they also made a full size scale of the whole dinosaur.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> wait, what? So, they created a dinosaur? <laughs>
0: And no, not they, a full size. Sorry, they used a scale model. Uh, so <laughs> All over the place. They, they created they a mini dinosaur. They used, created a mini dinosaur which weighed twenty kilograms. Still pretty cool. Um, and for every twenty, er, yeah, the total model mass was twenty kilograms, corresponding to a mass of thirteen hundred and six kilograms. So that seems small still for a dinosaur. One
3: hundred and sixty kilograms.
0: Uh, 1,306 kilograms.
2: Ah. A couple tons. A couple of tons. Yeah, that does seem kind of small. Maybe
0: it's a baby, a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um But yeah, they definitely did not build a dinosaur. Oh, that okay. was going to be too much. <laughs> oh,
3: well, what, what, what they could do is they just do it in the computer, right? Right. Then, so the no, computer, did get, the full,
0: they use yeah. this model to kind of get an idea of how plausible it would be and then scaled up using a computer.
3: So in the model, they they'd probably just hear whoosh. Yeah. But when mm-hmm. you
0: multiply it, yeah, it is, I just think it's break. crazy that it was supersonic. Mm-hmm.
1: I suppose Wait. it's it's probably for the best that they didn't build an actual model of a dinosaur tail that could burst a human eardrum.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Um, although, the scientists would not have been happy in the yeah. end. <laughs> mm-hmm. What? So what was the name of the dinosaur again? Apatosaurus. A P A to <laughs> Okay Yeah Cousin of the Brontosaurus And so this was The name of the um, The talk I thought was funny Was supersonic seropods Very Catchy kind of, Yeah like, Look at those paleontologists yeah. go, <laughs> Being all quirky and catchy
1: There's nothing scientists love More than alliteration
0: It's mm-hmm. true Absolutely it sell so, it definitely sells the science a little more
2: mm-hmm. 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 the name of my paper was targeting human cancer by glycoamino glycan <laughs> binding <laughs> malaria protein <laughs> Slightly well, less catchy well we know of us we know targeting
3: know. we know malaria right What yeah. what is cancer we know human yeah.
2: cancer yeah. yeah 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 it's just that it's one just word. that one big word and
3: and speaking of titles uh, i was gonna make the announcement at the end but i'll, I'll just jump in right now um there is a competition happening next weekend called the three-minute three thesis competition, where um, <clears throat> PhD candidates are going to be talking about their research under three minutes, and they have to say it in terms that are understandable to uh, to the general audience, people that are not everyone. to everyone. Yeah, um, not only a science community if they're scientists, um, but to anybody uh, to be able to understand it. And the cool part about it is that you three are <laughs> participating in the competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh-huh. Anahita, Madeline, and Adam will be in the competition. Um, if you, the public, you, the listener, are interested in attending, uh, the final event will be uh, next Saturday, October 24th, in the Student Center Second floor, the Leadership Auditorium at 4 p.m. There will be six finalists, and again, they all have three minutes to. They each have three minutes to talk about their research. Um, and one of the things, the reason why that we were talking about titles was that the titles have to be non-fancy mm-hmm.
0: words, but mm-hmm. rather catchy to to the general public. So I don't know what isn't catchy about determining environmental mm-hmm. effects on helical proteins i mean
2: i think you got bored just saying it. <laughs> 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 exactly so <laughs>
3: you will um well, we'll we'll find out what title you came up with mm-hmm. at the end of the week. Yeah. You're
2: making me nervous yeah. thinking about this again. Yeah, no, I, we're, just, we're just... It'll be fun. I'm really excited, but everyone, also a little nervous.
1: Everyone who was listening at the beginning of this show would have already heard a small portion of my own three-minute mm-hmm. thesis. So if that was a bit overly technical, then I am going to lose.
3: <laughs> uh... I don't know. We'll see. We'll find out. We'll find out. Mm-hmm. And right we have now, we have yeah. we have a wide uh, we have a lo- a very diverse group uh, of people. I'm part of the planning committee, so uh, I just realized
0: uh, what my slide's going to be. Nice.
3: No? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they have one stationary slide uh, that is part of no animations. You can't do props or dances or dingles or I can't dance. Hip hop or whatever. Nope. It all has to be
0: talking. This is kind of off topic, but did you ever see the TED Talk about dance your thesis?
2: (laughs) I'm familiar with the idea, but I didn't know there was a TED Talk. I think it was a TED Talk and it was pretty out there. I (laughs) will have
1: seen it by the end of today.
3: I know there was a competition and a chemist won last year. Oh, really? I remember that, yeah.
1: Now, this this three-minute thesis is not only like...
3: Um, it's not only science.
1: Science, it's mm-hmm. any kind
3: it's of... Any, okay. Right, and so what I was going to... Uh, right, we have a very diverse group of people from uh, the Department of uh, Education, uh, theater, I believe theater, or music. Are they
0: allowed to dance? <laughs>
3: no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> that all seems unfair to that. Yeah, yeah. it does. Yeah. Uh, so we have... Uh, and then we have uh, social sciences. We have nursing. Also, we cool. have some engineers. That's awesome. Different science. Um, so yeah, it would be it would be a lot of fun um, if you if you're interested and have a, a couple of hours to spare on your weekend. Um, yeah, the event will be will be then. So
1: <coughs> yeah, it won't. That's my
3: public service uh, announcement of the day.
1: Yeah, it won't only be you know PowerPoint presentations. There's mm-hmm. none of that. This is going to be a lot of nope. people trying to trying to make their presentations memorable. So it should be a good time.
0: Mm-hmm. If it's not accessible, it won't win. So it's gonna, yeah. it's gonna definitely be an interesting look on everybody's. And thesis. no matter
2: how bad it is, it's only three minutes. That's true, <laughs> <Right>. so hopefully <laughs> next one will be better. And if you wanna check out,
3: uh, this is the first time we're doing it here in Mizzou, but it's, uh, it's an international uh, phenomenon at this point. It was, It started at the University of Queensland in Australia and it has gone through uh, a lot of other places uh, in university. So if you just go to YouTube, you'll find a lot of videos of uh, the winners, not only in Australia, but in different parts of the world.
2: And they are very interesting to watch. A lot of people with really cool accents. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah, have that over us. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Alrighty, we'll go on our next musical break, and then we'll be back with some really cool stuff that Adam has for us. You're listening to the Big Electron on KCU eighty eight point one FM. All right, welcome back to The Big Electron here on KCOU 88.1. Think thanks for listening. Thanks for listening if you're in Colombia, but also thanks for listening if you are here in Alexandria, uh online on KCOU.fm. Hello to uh, uh, some of our listeners in Florida. So, <laughs> Hi, Mom. <laughs> there you go. Th- thanks for listening. All right. Uh, Adam, you have some really cool stuff for us.
1: Absolutely. And um, before I start, hi, Link. Okay. I did that. Um, so anyway, what I was going to talk about is a uh, an article in the r- most recent issue of uh, Science, um, the uh, journal that is, and it's called a skin-inspired organic digital mechanoreceptor. So I'll try to translate what that means. It basically is artificial skin and it's a really neat idea for folks who might be in need of that in mm-hmm. a medical sense, like to say they have a prosthetic uh, arm or leg, any kind of A prosthetic where you're um, missing some skin tissue that you would normally have. Now, people with a prosthetic don't normally uh, feel anything in that area, of course. But the idea here is this team, um, based out of Stanford University and led by Junan Bao, are working on an artificial skin that will be able to, hopefully in the future, send uh, an appropriate signal to your brain so that you can actually start feeling again in those areas uh, where the natural tissue is missing. Cool. So um, forgive me if I make a few technological errors here. I am neither an expert in nerve cells, and I'm not an electrician, and there's a (laughs) heck of a lot of electricity uh, going on in this particular article. But the general idea is this. In previous attempts up to now to create some sort of artificial skin, um, it's been done in a very... DC kind of way, a very direct current, very old-fashioned electronics kind of methods. So the harder you press on this artificial skin, the stronger an electrical signal it sends downstream to be detected. But the thing is, your brain doesn't detect electrical signals that way. Your brain detects things based on the frequency of a particular uh, pulse being sent by your nerve cells. So if you have an increased pressure or an increased stimulus of those cells, you don't get a a bigger signal. You just get more of them. They're all the same size. You just Mm -hmm. get more frequent signals. And in theory, that sounds like a pretty small thing. All they would have to do is convert, you know, have some conversion device from your direct current to that frequency-based device before you send it on to the nerve cells. But in fact, in doing that conversion, you lose a whole lot of information. You lose a whole lot of sensitivity. Mm -hmm. So what this team at Stanford did was they designed it to emit that kind of signal, that frequency-based signal, right from the get-go so that you're basically skipping the middleman and you can deliver a signal appropriate for your nerves right from the start. And what they found is that by imitating the way skin actually works in real life and trying to apply that and those principles... Uh, to their design of this artificial skin, they found it was much more efficient and much more capable of sending a really detailed and complex signal uh, to a nerve cell that matches what your skin would normally do.
2: That's really awesome.
1: Yeah, I think so. So Kind of hard to wrap
2: your brain around too. Yeah, it is.
1: And... It, ironically, that's the really hard part of what they're doing, too, is wrapping your brain around it. <laughs> okay. um, because that's still where the bottleneck is. That's still what they haven't quite got yet. Um, so this is all that's that they're doing is based on the really mechanical, like physical aspect. They're creating the skin. But the really hard part that still remains to be done is trying to have that artificial material send a signal that your brain can receive. Uh, to connect your real nerve cells, your natural nerve cells, to these artificial ones. Mm-hmm. Right now, that's the hard part. We don't really know how to do that. Mm-hmm. So what they did in this paper when they said, we want to prove that a, a biological system can uh, can receive that, was they used some mouse brain tissue uh, with photoreceptors, that is kind of like your optic nerve, and they had their um, artificial skin system send the signal as light uh, based on an led cool. um, and and that works they could get the the mouse brain tissue to respond uh, to it but you can't really do that in a human being mm-hmm. uh, that's not really going to work uh, in a medical sense so that's still the part that mostly remains to be done but they have established that in theory this can uh, can do the job mm-hmm. and it's a, a big improvement and a big leap forward in terms of the mm-hmm. artificial skin that will hopefully someday be used to restore feeling uh, in people's missing tissues.
3: Tissues and and, and limbs maybe yeah, sort of develop. So is this, um, when when you were saying that they're they're trying to kind of reactivate the sensing of whatever, right? The the, the skin, the artificial skin that they had. Was this, did they mention anything that, they're trying to implement this skin so that the missing limb is part of that, or is it just so that you have, so that the patient has a recovery of feeling? So, would it be for
0: like burn victims versus the amputees? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: It could apply in, in theory in either situation. Okay. It's, yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a missing limb, it can be just missing
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, skin tissue where mm-hmm. you. For for whatever this uh, reason, you no longer have any kind of nerve function oh, in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I would think even um, for like quadriplegics or something, that's you know, you have everything too. there, but it's just you know a severed nerve or something like the that. The connections are not there yeah, anymore. Maybe make yeah. some new connections. Would in be theory, really cool.
1: Yeah, those connections are really the hard part, yeah. though, of even getting their artificial skin to connect to anything. So mm, that's yeah. the, right. the same the same basic problem as what is. I presume the next step Mm -hmm. in trying to get Mm -hmm. this as a functional workable system. Right. It's just
3: establishing a communication between the new object that you put in um, Mm -hmm. to what what you already have and what your body's used to.
1: Yeah. That's the work that definitely still remains to be done, Mm -hmm. but they're making really good progress on this front in that they're designing their artificial skin system in the first place to be appropriate for a living Mm
2: -hmm. being and not not so acting as if we're just
1: inconveniently designed computers. They're actually making it um, yeah, that's suitable for a, for a person's nervous system. You would system. think we
2: would have been doing that the whole time. You'd
1: yeah. think so, but it's really hard. It must be really hard. So, yeah.
3: yeah, And we don't understand a lot about brain anyway. The yeah, brain or the connections or how.
0: I guess it's like the dinosaur thing. Like we have the idea, yeah. but yeah. just the technology the technology's not is not there. there yet.
1: Yeah. But um, designing systems that are more appropriate for a living thing that's a pretty good start Mm -hmm. so this is a really cool looking
3: now and then you mentioned that they used some cells to that that were reprogrammed yeah was was it from the nose you said
1: i believe it's from a mouse brain tissue but i might be mistaken in there um i don't know i um yeah i'll have to go back through (laughs) it there i'm afraid you caught me but um i have a
2: question that you may or may not no, the answer to, how did they figure out that the brain was receiving the message? The light, the light signal?
1: That is another one that I don't know. Okay. Apparently this is a model system okay. for sending signals to a nerve that has been established already okay, cool. by, by other groups. So I don't think they developed that sure. particular system, but it's uh, some sort of mouse model system where you have uh photosensitive okay. mouse brain cells mm-hmm. and you convert your electric signal into light and then see if the brain cells can detect it i don 't know exactly what physical mechanism yeah. they used to say yeah it's reading the signal
2: I guess it would probably be a, an electrical or chemical signal right. I would guess
3: it 's probably electrical yeah. I don 't know much about it but I know that in neurobiological studies uh, mm-hmm. research whatever they they have ways of seeing the electrics sin- and mm-hmm. well they they detect brain signals with electric signals yeah so they have this like i don't know screen that is somehow connected to the mouse and then whenever they stimulate something then they see like mm-hmm. a bump in signal or okay. something and cool. that for them it's it's how they say yes it reacted to it even even if it didn't move or mm-hmm. whatever um, i know that like light sensitive.
0: Sounds- Light-sensitive neurons and things like that is a huge area of study. Mm-hmm. Cool. Like, a, and a, I know we're veering away from the skin, but they also <laughs> use it for like treating blindness. Oh, huh.
1: well, that and that like, would make sure.
0: sense because <laughs> yeah. it's light treatment. Yeah.
2: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Yeah, in this case, I think they were just using that photosensitive system as sort of a proof of concept system. But um, the really novel part of their work is the creation of this. The skin system. The skin the, system. Uh, the light sensitive stuff is pretty cool, too.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely.
1: But, yeah, so if you're interested in uh, reading more about this on your own, the system is called DITACT, D-I-T-A-C-T. That's their fancy name that they came oh. up with because there's nothing scientists love more than catchy phrases and uh, alliteration and puns and
2: mm-hmm. acronyms.
1: Acronyms, so yeah. We
2: love acronyms. <laughs> yeah. Well, Absolutely.
3: especially when you're in the lab, you're not going to be saying the die, whatever whatever whatever. <laughs> you just say the die tag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I use this and that and that. Um, the reason I, I asked if it was a uh, no cell, it's because in adults. So, we, we've heard about stem cells and how, you know, babies have all these cells that then are, then they get uh, sorted into, you're going to become a heart, you're going to become this, you're going to become that. And we have, as an adults, we have very few stem cells, but some of them develop are from our noses. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, that's a lot of, I've read a few. Papers where they used uh, stem cells that are from our nose mm-hmm. to,
2: and that makes sense because oh, your nose is pretty vulnerable. Like mm-hmm. anytime there's some sort of bad chemical, like how do you detect it from your nose? So yeah,
3: yeah. you detect it, and, and I mean everything that you're breathing in, mm-hmm. your cells have to have to regenerate yeah, and adapt. They're bombarded. Yeah, they're bombarded. Huh. So that's that's one of the reasons why the nose has, still has, or, or they think that sure. that's one of the reasons why the nose still has. Intact stem cells because mm. they need to be regenerated on a very frequent basis.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah. Interesting.
3: Our the collective
1: response know- seems to be mm.
3: <laughs> <laughs> very interesting. All right. So to finish up on the show, this was published in.
0: Uh, Jackie just has to have the last word. <laughs> no, Just I cutting. I lost it. Uh, Your fancy technology. Hasn't caught up with us yet.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things we heard a lot about, we're running out of fossil fuel, fuel mm-hmm. <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> running out of gas, and we need to come up with a better way to provide energy to the world. So because one of the main things that, that we hear a lot is uh, solar power, Solar cells, sure. Um, solar powered cars, like the Tesla car, and many other uh, devices that are starting to use solar power as as their source. Um, and so, obviously, you want to have systems that are more efficient. That. Um, since this is a relatively new technology, we're still people are still looking at ways of developing more efficient systems mm-hmm. for this. So one one of the areas of solar cell development comes from this uh, area of chemistry where they have a family of, of photovoltaic de- devices known as dye sensitized solar cells. So what we have currently, what you see out in the street is uh, silicon-based mm-hmm. solar panels. And so they have, as, as I said, uh, they have silicon and then the silicon converts the, the, um, the solar energy, the, the radiation into a, an electrical signal. Now, one of the issues with those cells is that the input that you have, it's not the same as the outcome Mm -hmm. that you get. Mm -hmm. The conversion efficiency, they call it, for the currently available silicon-based solar cells, it's about 14 to 30%, the very best ones. Mm -hmm. So you have to put in when you put in 100 photons, let's say, you only get 30 that are converted into full energy. We can think of that way. Okay. Now, with the dye-sensitized solar cells, people are thinking, okay, well, with this, we can have a much more efficient conversion of solar energy into energy itself. Now, they have proven that You know, designing these molecules with a metal in the middle that can convert the solar energy into um, electricity. The problem is that the most efficient sort of compound that has been uh, produced now is developed out of ruthenium. Ruthenium is a very expensive, rare metal so you wouldn't think even though they people think they have a yield near of a hundred percent what you put mm. in out but you put in it's almost the same as you get out so a hundred percent versus the 30 percent that wow. we currently have available it's a big jump the problem is it's developed out of ruthenium which is extremely expensive very rare and it wouldn't be as cost efficient to produce those mm-hmm. cells mm. right and so what this group did is a group in Sweden and this, they published it in Nature Chemistry earlier uh, this month. And what they did is they developed this compound with iron instead. Okay. Iron is very commonly found on earth. Mm-hmm. And so they, uh, they tweaked and they, they developed, they tweak some stuff and then they modify. So they came up with this molecule that has iron in the middle that then it's able to when you inject um electrons or when you inject uh solar energy produces electrons that then are trans um transformed into electric current now the cool thing about this is that like i said iron is very commonly found and they found a efficiency of 92 percent with this compounds so remember what we currently have available now is the maximum is 30 percent between 15 and 30 <laughs> percent and when this guy's with iron which is a very commonly found mm-hmm. metal um, which means it's cheap and it's easy mm-hmm. to cheap use. easy to use and then it's it, this compound seems to be easy to make mm-hmm. um, so
2: wow.
3: it gives you it gives them uh, a yield of 92 percent
2: so were they like trying to make it i don't know chemically look more like the fancy name chem uh ruthenium, element, ruthenium? <laughs> uh no so
3: other other people have developed complexes we call them complexes so okay. you develop a molecule and then you just add it, add a metal to it okay and then they they bind um one okay. way or another you you look at the chemistry and then they bind. It's like and the then, lowest energy is for it too.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. to Yeah. Body uh, system. Yeah. It's yeah, Kind of like one. a body system
3: <laughs> stays there and then that's what helps. So ruthenium gives, uh, they've developed uh, complexes where ruthenium, when you have a ruthenium complex, that one gives you a hundred percent. Like I said, it's very expensive and all that stuff. So they were trying to figure it out. Okay. Can we use another metal that can give us the same properties. Uh, mm. And of course the chemistry, I mean, if you have another electron or if you have another, if you have another element, it's going to be, com- the chemistry will be mm. completely yeah. different. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's why um, developing this compound for iron was very important because he gave almost the same amount of efficiency as the ruthenium compound did. That's really cool.
1: About 92 is a heck of a lot larger number than, uh, than thirty something. Than thirty percent, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. And that's, we know our math.
3: So. I, I know
1: math. I
0: solar it. cells to die for,
1: <laughs>
3: uh, but uh, tss, <laughs> they are dye sensitized solar
1: cells. Yes.
3: <laughs> yes, yes, they are. Uh, <laughs> Again,
1: scientists love puns. <laughs> that's what they love.
3: Yeah, and and something also cool that they found is that the this complex has a longer lived energy Uh, so it the the production of it it's a little bit longer than um high energy because a lot of uh, also one of the setbacks is that a lot of the currently available camp um materials for for solar cells are that you have to we call it excite so you have to like promote an electron make it
0: so yeah. like you give it enough energy. You that give it, yeah. You have, can run up the like a caffeine days. boost. Yeah, like a caffeine yeah.
3: boost, and then you get your electricity. So okay. you still like oh, have sure. to give more energy oh. to get your electric energy back. And so this one, they just mm. put it out there in the sun, mm. and then it started producing. Wow, well, a ninety-two percent yield. So.
2: so it's like a car without a starter. It just does it, it on it its just, own.
3: It just goes. That's cool. Yeah, it just goes. So. Yeah, it's it's some interesting developments that they have, um, breakthrough in in solar solar powered energy. Um, we'll see, we'll see how there's there's a lot of emphasis in solar solar energy. So mm-hmm. we'll see where this one where this this goes. Um,
1: Very cool. Can't be bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sounds, sounds pretty promising.
3: Yeah, yeah. Hopefully a, a company takes it in and, and develops it and. Soon we have Yeah. I'll be looking for stock options. Very yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. All right. Well that with that we're gonna finish up our show. We'll be back next week. Uh, where we'll have a, a very special guest with us next week. And um we have a, a very cool show planned. It's gonna be a little bit different. Um it's still about science, but it will be just a tidbit different. Um still science related though. So thanks for listening. You're listening you were listening to the Big Electron on KCU 88.1 FM have a great rest of your day